Hello and welcome to the Hockey News Now. I'm Stephen Ellis and joining me today is Will Sports agent Ian Pulver. Ian, the NHL arbitration window is set to open on October 20th and will run until November 8th. Your background, you've got about 15 years of NHLPA experience as a labor lawyer and one of your duties was to create and run the salary arbitration program. So kind of just going back to the start of salary arbitration, what purpose does it serve? Yeah, hey Steve, uh, good morning and uh, nice to speak to you again. Uh, salary arbitration harkens a lot of memories back for me, um, dating back to 1990, uh, when I first started with the NHL Players Association coming out of law school, one of my duties under Bob Goodnow was to, uh, head up, uh, the NHL marketplace for the players and the salary arbitration program. Uh, but before, first, before we get into salary arbitration, uh, one of the biggest things that happened to players circa 89, 90 was, in fact, salary disclosure. Uh, before that time, through the 70s and the 80s, the NHL players had no idea what each other were making. There was no salary disclosure in the NHL. The players more or less revolted in the late 80s, headed up by certain player agents and player leaders in the union to finally get Alan Eagleson um, to uh, agree with the NHL to disclose player salaries. Once player salaries were disclosed, they had to have a mechanism that really worked to compare each other in their contract negotiations. And that's when more or less salary arbitration was born in a real way. Uh, you should know that there was salary arbitration in the 80s, but since there was no salary disclosure, it was almost impossible to find out exactly what a player's worth was in the arbitration setting. Um, I know I'm long-winded, but the, the, the history on this is important. Um, in, in 1990, once disclosure was made, the NHLPA started to put out books to all the players and the agents as to what the salaries were for everyone. The average salary back then came out to be about $270,000 in the now. early 90s. I, I don't even know if you were <laughs> born uh, back no. then. Uh, what was your birth year? Or you, you may not want to discuss. Uh, 96. And I'll say, yeah, uh, just think of the contracts now. Like that's, that just sounds scary. That's right. So, but you're, you're going to, you're going to shake your head once we get to 2004, because not much has changed in the last 15 years with respect to the highest paid players. Um, but let's get back to 1992 when the players went on strike April 1992, one of the things that was on the table was to implement a real salary arbitration program that had rules, that had impartial arbitrators that neither side knew. In the past, they had judges that used to sit and they were friends of the NHL and the NHLPA leaders. In 92, that all changed. And the landscape for players in the 90s dramatically changed because finally they had real numbers, real comparisons, and they were able to use the salary arbitration system to their benefit. And um, it proved to be a, a, a very useful tool to the players. Um, 
So through the 90s, including the 94 lockout, the, 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 the league owners wanted to get rid of the salary arbitration system because they knew that it was going to be a powerful tool. The other thing everybody should remember is that throughout the 90s, the unrestricted free agent year of, uh, that, of age was 31. It wasn't 27. So players remained the property of one club from 18 to 31 mm -hmm. throughout the 90s, unless you were a 10-year pro um, group five unrestricted free agent. So that was a long time. So there were a lot of players under the salary arbitration system that uh, took full advantage of it. Um, so uh, over time, that program, uh, salary arbitration was a real weapon. It still is today, but it's a lot different with the unrestricted free agent year at uh, 27. The other interesting thing was through the 90s, with the advent and the advancement of TV, um, the NHL kept real-time statistics. And the listeners may, or the viewers may or may not know, the, the league and the clubs were set, sitting on a pile of statistical evidence um, in 95, 96, 97, 98, that they weren't turning over to the players, such as ice time. Ice time was not made ready, readily available to the players um, until the late 90s. And so that, that was another major uh, gain for the players. Um, we went before an arbitrator. We argued that the league should turn over the statistics, um, the hits, the block shots, the ice time. They were called real-time statistics back then. Now I think... You all refer to them as advanced stats, I believe. Um, and an arbitrator decided that the players should be able to utilize those statistics in contract negotiation. And that became a real game changer, too, in the salary arbitration program. I guess one of the biggest differences between salary arbitration in the 90s compared to today? Um. Well, like not as many players need to use salary arbitration anymore because the unrestricted free agent age was switched in 2004 lockout from 31 to 27. So players don't have as many arbitration eligible years um, to bargain over as they once did prior to 04. Now, for example, in 2004, just before the lockout, there were 19 awards given um, by arbitrators. In other words, 19 players, 19 teams couldn't settle just before the lockout. And there were players like Joe Thornton, mm -hmm. um, who went to salary arbitration with the Boston Bruins. Uh, he made a request of $8 million dollars. Um, and, and got a one-year award for 6.75. Um, you know, I have the Joe Thornton rebuttal documents right here that we used back then, 15 years ago. Um, how many pages and, would be in there? How, how much information is in something like that? Uh, well, with the, with, with, you know, when we get into the mechanics of salary arbitration, um, 
basically it's a rebuttal document that we use to show that the Boston Bruins were wrong. And the Boston Bruins had a similar rebuttal exhibit saying why Joe Thornton and the NHLPA was wrong. Um, what, what's interesting, and here's a brief that we filed for Scott Niedermeyer back in the day. Um, Scott Niedermeyer made an arbitration request of $9 million back in 2004. His award was $7 million. But what's interesting is that Petra Angelo just signed a contract with Vegas for, uh, I think, just short of $9 million a year. Um, and, you know, not much has changed for the elite players in the 15 years since the cap came in. Um, the numbers are similarly the same, and that was 15 years ago, which to some degree is um, very revealing about what a salary cap can do um, in, to a marketplace effectively. Um, same numbers being discussed back then that are today. Um, so um, salary arbitration is still used as a viable mechanism in 2020, um, but it's um, in 2020, but um, it's not used by as many players and there's not as many awards because um, it's the, the landscape's changed. So how does it work for filing a salary arbitration and all the mechanics and everything like that? So uh, just recently, I believe 26 players filed for salary arbitration um, and they gave notice to their NHL clubs that they're going to use this tool in the collective agreement. Um, then the players association and the league sit down and set a schedule for uh, the clubs and the players. Now we'll see how many settle. I think several have already. Uh, Nick Paul and the Ottawa Senators, I noticed, settled the other day. And I think you're going to see settlements trickling in. I believe two New York Rangers settled yesterday. D'Angelo and uh, I think just D'Angelo. I don't know if the goalie. Yeah, the goalie did file for salary arbitration. Um, and so then the hearings are set. I believe they're set for October 20th through November something. November. And the player... Um, will file a brief and the club will file a brief 48 hours before their scheduled time. The briefs can't be more than 40 pages. Um, the collective agreement, which I have here, Article 12, uh, details the specifics, including the font of the brief um, and type size of the brief <laughs> and the number of pages of the brief. Um, the rules are quite defined. The player sets out his case and his comparables. The club sets out their case and their comparable players. And you should know that uh, player and clubs cannot use unrestricted free agent signings. So there's specific rules in the collective agreement that say these are the types of players, uh, comparable contracts. There's a comparable exhibit that the league and the players association put out and say, these are the only contracts you can utilize in salary arbitration. If you file, if the player files, the club then gets to decide what the length of contract will be. The term of the contract will be 
if an arbitrator decides. They put the request in for either a one-year or a two-year award. Each side is allocated 90 minutes to present their direct case and rebuttal case. Each side can decide how much time they want to utilize of the 90 minutes in direct and how much in rebuttal. Usually, the case is made in rebuttal. By rebuttal, what do I mean? Each side has a certain time they decide to um, say why the other side is wrong. And that's where, you know, the case is usually made um, for the player or the club. Um, and so that's how the mechanics of, of the arbitration um, hearing works. There's an arbitrator um, from the National Academy of Arbitrators that sits. This year is going to be a little bit different, Steve, because mm -hmm. I don't believe they're doing in-person hearings. So um, there's going to be Zoom technology or whatever technology they have, and it's going to be a little bit different um, than um, in the past because usually everybody's in the, in the room. Usually there's some shuttle diplomacy prior to these hearings that end up in a settlement. Um, this year, no one's traveling to the hearing, so uh, it's going to make for interesting fodder to see if there's more settlements or fewer settlements or what just happens. And that's kind of an interesting case because there's definitely some ramifications of salary arbitration and uh, between the player and the club because the, the team's trying to make a case of why they should pay less and the player's trying to make a case of why they should pay more or get paid more. So what are some of the ramifications from that? Well, good question. And before I answer it, um, uh, the, the, the principal, I guess, goal of salary arbitration is to force a settlement prior to the hearing. Salary arbitration is, um, the actual hearing is representative of a breakdown in the negotiation. So good agent, good club are gonna try and settle the case prior to, if they can. Sometimes there's extenuating circumstances um, to uh, the relationship and they just end up in a hearing. But the ramifications, generally speaking, I was actually in, in advance of our, our call today, I was looking at you know, what happened uh, uh, last year um, to uh, there were six awards in 2019. Joel Edmondson in the St. Louis Blues. Edmondson didn't play for the Blues last year. I think he was in Carolina. Uh, Anton Forsberg and the Carolina Hurricanes. I think Forsberg ended up in Chicago. Um, Rocco Grimaldi in Nashville. I believe Rocco's still in Nashville. Evan Rodriguez in the Buffalo Sabres. I believe Evan was moved. A um, couple times, actually. A couple times. Christian Juice in the Washington Capitals. Uh, he, after the arbitration hearing, ended up spending most of the year in the minors and then was traded to Anaheim and he recently signed. Um, other names in recent years, Cody Cece, Ottawa Senators, Brett Kulak, Calgary Flames, um, Nate Schmidt, um, Washington, Mike Hoffman, Ottawa. Eventually, what you see is 
a little bit of a breakdown mm. in the relationship. Players ended up getting moved. And maybe it's for the better for the player in the club because obviously, you know, they couldn't see eye to eye in, in a settlement. It results in a hearing and people move on and it's business and it's, 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 all, it's all healthy. And um, at the end of the day, players go play and, and managers go manage or clubs, I should say. And, um, you know, it, it, salary arbitration is a very important tool to the players and the clubs because it, it, it forces something to happen. All right, Ian, thank you very much for joining me. That was some great information. This is something where this might not be a topic a lot of people know a whole lot about. So this is some good stuff. So thank you so much for joining me. All right. Have a good day.